Nathan. Hi. This is the cock and bowl. Did you know that? Did you know which one you were on? This is, uh, I'm much more comfortable in this format where we record multiple at a time. This is much more akin <laughs> to my native my native tongue in Mark's Madness where we record eight of these in a go. So where I'm really, you binge, where you binge record things? I, yeah, I usually I usually start really feeling it by the second one. So this is, oh, oh yeah. I'm loose. Yeah. The, the comedy juices are flowing. I am ready exactly. to fuck this. Exactly. If you guys hated how uh, how how we were at the end of last episode, you're not going to love this one. Late 1850s, Germany. The vaguer they start, the weirder they end. Cocaine is successfully isolated from the coca leaf. We did that in the 1850s? Why did I feel like we had this before? May 6th, 1856, Sigmund Freud is born. Oh, no! Oh, my God! Oh, shit, guys, this is it! Little known fact, the two were separated at birth. Guys, guys, no, this whole thing started as a, we're going to do a weird comedy podcast about weird psychology guys, and we're just kicking off Freud. This is the apex. It's all downhill from here. Freud was the son of two Jewish parents from what is now Ukraine. Uh, Freud was born in Freiburg, Austria, uh, known now as Prebor in the Czech Republic. His upbringing was a very maternal one, by all appearances. He was strongly favored by Wait his mother. Wait a mm-hmm. minute. Sigmund Freud had a mommy issue? You do not say, Spencer! Yeah, I know. It's hard to believe, but bear with me here. Did, did he also have some issues with dicks as a child? I don't know where you're getting that from, but I'm sure it won't come up later. He was strongly favored by his mother who said that Freud's birth was a good omen when he came out with his head draped in a piece of membrane. Well, I'm out. All right, that was fun. <laughs> this, believe it or not, this is actually uh, a trend, or it's it's a it's a rare phenomenon. It's called a cowled birth. It's harmless and quite rare, occurring in only one of eighty thousand births. Yeah, the mother- problem is the problem is is I'm imagining a uh, an adult Sigmund Freud head with just some weird goo on it coming out of a <laughs> vagina now, and none of that's good for me uh, psychologically or otherwise. His mother bought into the superstition that because of this, Freud would go on. To be special. And special he was, let me tell you. Freud was educated at a prominent high school in Vienna and graduated from the Matura Secondary School in 1873. With honors, mind you. Remember, kids, graduating with honors gets you on the Cock and Bull podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. So does uh, so does murdering a civil rights leader, but not something I'd exactly <laughs> recommend. <laughs> Freud was a literature buff in his late teens and was proficient in German, French, Italian, Spanish. I hope you've got fingers up at this rate. English, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Oh, he's, the, he's a regular Mayor Pete Booty Chug of, of fucking 18th century <laughs> psychologist. I like that he doubled down on two dead languages. I mean, why, why not at that point? He was just running out. They're dead. You can just say you speak them. No one will know. Uh, at 17 years old, he entered the University of Vienna. Initially, this was to study law, I'm assuming to become an octolingual international attorney. (laughs) Instead, he was persuaded to join the medical faculty where his studies shifted towards philosophy, physiology, and zoology. Yeah, all right, you shift to the medical medical, uh, team and you start studying philosophy, no one fucking wants you in. You're doing fucking heart surgery, no one wants to go, (laughs) I don't know if any of this is real, get the fuck out of here, Freud! He had no short supply of massively influential instructors. German philosopher Franz Bernardo and German physiologist Ernst Bruch, just to name a couple. Don't know Uh, either of them. They're not not important. Brentano was a scholastic philosopher. He reintroduced intentionality, which is basically just like, the mind can form representations. Isn't that cool? Nope. I hate I hate philosophy. I hated the whole class I had about it. I had an entire degree in it. Never heard of this guy one time. Throughout his educational career, he'd go on to research the brains of numerous species and wrote volumes of research on the nervous system that would pave the way for the discovery of the neurons some 15 years later. Hey, that's important. We use those. It is important stuff. Um, at age 23... He took one year off for compulsory military service. That was a thing he had to do in Austria. Being an Austrian soldier in the relatively peaceful year of 1879, they just finished a war with the Ottomans, Freud had plenty of downtime to complete a commission translating four essays by John Stuart Mill. Oh, dear. Uh, That's always a bad thing. Never. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to get some Mill. You're going to get some Mill and things aren't aren't going to be great. (laughs) This earned him a good chunk of change, uh, which is exactly what he needed. He was middle class, maybe even upper middle class in upbringing, but Freud was looking for his big break. 
He'd already begun to make a name for himself with two minor breakthroughs, a method of staining nerve tissue and a research paper theorizing the possible location of eel testicles. Well, I mean, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, because I've seen Unagi, the fucking giant snake thing from Mario, and the first thing I've immediately thought every time is, but where them nuts do? Hey, hey, this one, this one's, this one's on me. Oh, who, who am I, you ask? Oh, listen, I'm just the guy buying you a drink and the man that mapped the balls of an eel. You could say <laughs> I'm something of a Magellan of the anatomical world. You you said genital mutilation wouldn't be a trend, but you you definitely didn't say <laughs> genitals wouldn't be a trend this week this month. So <laughs> fool me once, shame on you. Listen, let's get out of this Applebee's and see if I can chart a course to that butthole. Where are you going? <laughs> Come Dear on, get back God. here. Dear God. I paid two bucks for these vodka lemonades. <laughs> Would you like some cocaine? I have it all. Freud earned his MD in March of 1881, and by 1882 was working at Vienna General Hospital researching cerebral anatomy. That's, that's just, yeah, all right, that's normal. Like, what what that brain do, though? Cocaine was first synthesized by one of two German chemists in the mid to late 1850s. <laughs> no one knows which. They were so fucked out of their minds on blow, <laughs> no one could tell. It's 55 or 59, it's one guy or the other, I don't know. Multiple sources say multiple guys. Because the one guy invented it in 55 and then was just <laughs> coked out of his mind for four years. Just, roaming, new- his, just roaming his way through like weird disco texts and, and oh man, it was Assumed it was a, wild a new time. identity, became a new guy, invented it again. It started out with a less charming name, uh, Erythrozylin, I think. Now by oh. the... Okay. By the m- so we hadn't learned marketing yet. Not at all. By the mid-1880s, though, the drug was heavily refined and given the more catchy name, cocaine. (laughs) Cocaine is made using the coca leaf, which grew from South America. Yes, it does. Colonists and explorers learned that natives used it in ceremonies, and I've read some works suggesting that it was used for worship of a fertility goddess in one culture. Wait, you're saying if you do a bunch of blow, you're going to want to fuck stuff? (laughs) Spencer, what sort of revolutionary research are you doing over there? And I'm on the same I'm on the same train as you. It would make sense if true, because chewing the coca leaf provides very similar yet weakened effects to that of cocaine. One of which includes heightened stimulation of them sexy bits, teeth now, grinding, teeth grinding, and 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 a real, real, real insistence on talking about that small business you want to get off the ground. In addition to its more pure makeup, cocaine in the 1880s started seeing its emergence as a cure-all to the pharmaceutical world. Companies were beginning to manufacture it more and more, and Freud yeah. had his eye on it. I mean, can you blame him, though? God. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of the Sawbones phrase, cure-alls, cure nothing, but don't you fucking tell me cocaine cures nothing, because cocaine can cure a <laughs> lot of things. Cocaine is the cure for every boring party I've ever attended, I can tell you that much. He wanted to study its applications after learning about it, reading about it in a journal dubbed the Therapeutic Gazette. <laughs> Sexy, I love it. Oh yeah, this is this. He heard about it's better than like most like mental scientists today who are like, I heard about DMT on Joe Rogan, and I really want to figure out what that's all about. <laughs> he read a story about a German foot soldier who had collapsed from exhaustion, but after swallowing some cocaine, <laughs> sprung back to life and marched the rest of the Popeye-like, way. Popeye like leaped back into battle against the Hun. Now remember that if cocaine is being made as a legitimate pharmaceutical concoction, it's going to be far more pure than the brick cut with drywall that's being peddled today. <laughs> oh, yes. No, no, no. You're saying Freud had that good shit. Oh, the, the best shit. In no mids. No mids for for Freud. It's all, it's all that cop shit. In 1884, Freud, having looked at this article, his eyes bulging out, awooga, he says. <laughs> <laughs> Salivate, jaw hits the floor. Nostrils <laughs> widen five feet. Freud. Is this before his- or after he starts doing the cocaine? <laughs> Freud ordered his very first batch from Angel's Pharmacy. Oh, my God. It might as well have said he ordered it from the Sears fucking catalog at this rate. What the fuck? Yeah, no kidding. After getting back to the office and settling in, Freud did what any academic would and got high in the name of science. (laughs) 
I mean, Un- like you do. Like uncork, you do. swig. Uh, he'd begun with a gram of swig? cocaine. Swig? Is he drinking it? What are you doing, Freud? Yes, actually, he was drinking it to start. Oh, that was actually how. Oh. It was all it was all injection and drinking to start with. Oh, um, a lot of co- lot of so in the in the Coca Cola days, you know, it was you know put it into tinctures and whatnot. <laughs> he began with a gram of coke. I'm picturing like a potion bottle. Uh, he began with a gram of cocaine, far more pure than anything on the street right now. He swallowed Spencer only has a- tested it and confirmed, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Extens- Our month off was not for nothing. Spencer has done extensive research yeah. into this. He swallowed only a 20th of this gram in his first experiment. Freud was floored. Uh, his head was swimming <laughs> with the drive to work, to create. His creativity was firing on all cylinders. And yeah, as someone who's gotten back on some amphetamines uh, recently... <laughs> I'm I starting can, to see can, why this episode finally got done. Spencer's just like can, empathizing with him. I can taste what he's talking about. Like I'm feeling 10% <laughs> of that big Coke energy. Of course. Freud, no kidding. Like I, Nate, Nate calls me after work. And I'm like, hey, by the way, I got three of these ready to go. You no, know, I, like, I, oh, it's been a month since we've gotten one done. Spencer's like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to call off a night because I need to do three hours of K-pop therapy. So I was like, that's cool. I'll knock out two more. <laughs> Everything okay over there, Spencer? Yup, nothing to see here. Of course, Freud was marveled by the mental and physical effects of cocaine. He began taking <laughs> he began taking it to combat his depressive episodes, and after that worked, <laughs> he cured indigestion with it. That's oh, not a joke. God. Got a little bit of heartburn to the moon, Alice. Let's go. Stubbed his toe, did a line. <laughs> His research papers loudly wondered what it couldn't cure. I mean, realistically. Thinking back to the journal that gave him the idea, a 28-year-old Freud wrote in and offered his eel nut credentials. (laughs) Oh, you don't know who I am? Dear Therapeutic Gazette, I never thought this would happen to me. (laughs) The Gazette sponsored him $24 and some free Coke if he sponsored their (laughs) merchandise and spoke fondly of their product. What?! Yeah. This is the me undies of 18th century science. This episode brought to you by Squarespace. They did send me some Adderall. (laughs) By the end of 1884, he published his first paper, Uber Coca. Fuck you. No. No. 100% what it's called. That is not what he called it. That is. Not only is that what he called it, but Nate, I've got some excerpts from the English translation if you would like to hear them. Do you want to hear some excerpts, Nathan, from this paper? I would love to. The psychic effect of cocaine is a quote. Psychic effect of cocaine in doses of half a gram to a tenth of a gram consists of exhilaration and lasting euphoria which does not differ in any way from the normal euphoria of a healthy person. (laughs) He doesn't know the difference in a a guy high on coke and a guy that's just happy. Also, doses of half a gram to a tenth of a gram. Remember that he started with a twentieth of a gram. He's already (laughs) started ramping it up. Oh my god. Just sniffing, just like... Pixie stick amounts of fuck the big ones though the plastic ones that you had to cut off. <laughs> oh fuck! Quote: I have tested the effect of coca, which wards yep. off hunger, sleep, and fatigue, and steals one to intellectual effort. Some uh, dozen, some dozen times on myself. Uh huh. Uh huh. He got he got real. Sk- I mean, he was going for that modeling career. He had to tooch that booch, and he wanted to get walk his little turn his turn on the catwalk. Turns out, cocaine real good for that. He also adds, "I had no opportunity to engage in physical work. <laughs> I I did coke twelve times. Couldn't find anything to lift. <laughs> Nothing to do. Nope, 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 nope. Wrote. I talked to a bunch of guys. I've written four books. I, uh, I, yeah, yeah. We've done some things. Got three small businesses off the ground, but did not find any actual work to do. Dose thirteen will test the effect. Of, it will test its effect on my endurance as I go to the store to get more cocaine at breakneck sprints. <laughs> Again, down to the CVS to pick up some more cocaine, please. Another one quote: A first dose or even repeated doses of coca produce no compulsive desire to use the stimulant further. Of course on the contra- not. On the no. contrary. One feels a certain unmotivated aversion to the substance. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. No, no one has Did. ever done. Ever, no one has ever gotten an eight ball and just done the whole thing over a weekend. Nope. Nope. Never I happens. Did 12 lines of Coke. But if anything, I'm like, man, if there's one thing I'm not addicted to, it's Coke. Anyone got some Coke? <laughs> Coca is far more potent and far less harmful of a stimulant than alcohol. And its widespread utilization is hindered at present only by its cost. I'm just saying we'd be more productive if everyone was was you know t t taking a little booger sugar to the to the dome as opposed to you know boosting their way into affinity. I'm just saying. First off, alcohol is not a stimulant. That's number what one. I'm like I mean, I mean, I'm, I wasn't gonna call Freud out on that because he is a doctor and I'm not, so I just assume he knew some things. But this does sound like something a cokehead would say. Number two, prohibited only by its cost is a sign of what's to come. Sigmund Freud gave raid reviews of the subject all while pulling sponsorship deals and free samples of it now this is like this adam this is like alex jones talking about brain and or dick pills whichever one is paying him more at the time and because of his unfettered access to it freud did not foresee the darker side of cocaine withdrawals <laughs> but spencer there's no compulsion to use it i i know that's what the paper says Freud was soon sending samples to friends in the medical profession. He told them just a laundry list of positives, too. So why don't we go over some of those from the letter? Your buddy Sigmund just sent you some coke in the mail, and here's what it can do for you. It's a mental stimulant, he says. True. Not wrong. Not wrong. It's a treatment for asthma. Um, uh, I can't, I can't disprove it. It's a cure for eating disorders. I mean, that is 100% true if your disorder is I eat too much and I'd like to not eat because I'm too worried about all the other things going on. It's an aphrodisiac. I mean, people want to fuck when they do blow. That's accurate. And, worst of all, it'll cure morphine and alcohol addiction. But you will just be addicted to cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> One friend of his, funny you should say that, One friend of his, psychologist Ernst von Fleischel Marxau, and I'm never saying that fucking name again, which is why I just write friend for the rest of this. I mean, Rumpelstiltskin might as well just be his fucking name at this rate. Had long suffered from a thumb injury from an autopsy long ago. It gave him terrible what? pain. And it, wait, and wait, that, wait, 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 wait. Yep. He had a thumb injury from an autopsy? Like someone did an autopsy on him and he got a thumb injury? Because I've got bigger fish to fry. He, Why is Freud he, friends with a zombie? He did, he did an autopsy on someone else and nicked his thumb instead of the person. Oh, oh, oh. He did some nerve damage on the thumb there. Okay, all right. I see it. I got you. Now that, of course, led to a nasty morphine addiction. Yeah, uh, as it will. Now this friend happily took up Freud's letter <laughs> reading that last stanza. Morphine, you say? I mean, he's not wrong. Triumph, Freud wrote, rejoice for me. Through cocaine, we achieved something beautiful. Freud hadn't cured him of his addiction, though. He'd only given him a new one. Soon, the morphine addiction returned, and it wasn't long before this friend was spending 6,000 marks per month on his coke habit. Damn, Daniel! He was dead I mean, within seven years. Well, I mean, a six grand a day or month coke habit, that'll, that, that will, yeah, one way or another, that'll do you in. Mm-hmm. But while his friend was bankrupting himself to feed the beast, Freud was watching cocaine soar to new heights in the medical world. Not by his work, though. Freud instead watched as a friend named Carl Kohler uh, popularized the drug by providing or proving its value as an anesthetic. Yeah, it does that. He used it to numb a frog's eyeball, and the animal never so now, much as twitched when Kohler operated on the eye. Well, um, that, why, now that does seem like an extreme way to have to do that. You couldn't have done it on, like, his foot or something like that. Nathan, frogs go. didn't have rights. <laughs> Nor I do mean, they. I, I, mean, I, I mean, I get it, but, like, damn. <laughs> Not to be bogged down by jealousy, Freud was simply content to see the world take on this wonder drug just as he had. He continued his research undeterred, knowing there was a wealth of information yet to be discovered about cocaine. In the meanwhile, he began taking it just as often as he was prescribing it. He started out swallowing and injecting it, but did you know, Freud started the act of snorting it. I mean, it does seem very on brand. I mean, he is the cocaine cowboy of psychology. <laughs> if anyone's going to invent new and exciting ways to get that shit into your bloodstream. It's, and he was a brain scientist, so you would think he'd probably have figured out, you know, blood-brain barrier and, how you know, effective methods of getting it in there quicker. 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it came second only to his first idea, which was snorting it off mother. Uh, so before <laughs> this episode began, what did you know about Sigmund Freud? I knew that he looked like Groucho Marx. He liked cigars, and uh, that's because he was into dick shit. Um, he had some weird uh, uh, ideas about poop uh, and mm -hmm. uh, and obsessions with it. Um, definitely thought everyone wanted to fuck their mom. Um, and generally speaking, had almost all of his ideas um, thrown out the window because he was a coked out maniac. So that's what most of us know him for. Those are the big founding ideas behind his legacy. Uh, the school of psychoanalysis, if you will. You know, let's talk about your mother. Let's interpret what these dreams of yours must mean. Snowmen represent your fears of impotency and the carrot is your dick. All that fun stuff. Yep. All of this starts with cocaine. You don't say! Freud strongly admired the liberating effect of cocaine, the way it got people talking in a very stream-of-conscious kind of way. He liked oh. it so much that he used it on his patients for the oh. same effect. Of course he did, because I I won't open up to my therapist until they've given me at least three rails. <laughs> and with that, Freud invented the psychoanalysis technique of free association, the so stereotypical concept of therapy where a patient lies on the couch and freely vents their feelings while figuring out how it all relates back to mom and her tits. Now, what you don't often see is the part where they bump a line before <laughs> both of them. It is the only way this idea makes sense. It is the only way people will talk, lay down and talk enough for you to get back to this weird... It, make, it makes perfect sense. This is the, absolutely what a coked out person would do. It is strongly alleged by members of the medical historical community, as I have read, that Freud's baseline theories like the Oedipus Complex, Electra Complex, Ed Ego, Super Ego, Dream Interpretation, they were all concocted under the influence of cocaine and uh, on a shaky foundation, as it were. So, if you ask you, me, you mean ephemeral bullshit and nonsense? <laughs> I think Freud's biggest flaw is that his theories are based on introspection and projection. He's just clearly putting all of his bullshit on other people. That, like, he's the horniest degenerate in the history of time and couldn't cope with the fact that everyone wasn't exactly like him. To the point of giving him coke and convincing him that they were, in fact, just like him. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Like, everyone on coke acts the same. So when you give everybody else coke, everything starts... Y'all come to that metaphorical coke person, and their name's Chad, and they have a backwards hat on, and they really want to get a small business off the ground. And yet, psychoanalysis remains to this day a very popular form of therapy. It's not quite the same school Freud left behind, though. I mean, in 1924, the Oedipus Complex was largely abandoned as the core tenet of psychoanalysis. Many elements of Freud's creation have been set aside only to be taught in rudimentary psychology classes. Yeah, you take it in Psych 101 and then it's like, <laughs> we're just kidding. Nobody, everyone doesn't want to fuck their mom. But hey, at least Freud said gay rights. Did, did he? He did. In 1895, 11 years into Freud's cocaine addiction, he was approached by one of his patients, Emma Eckstein, who complained of stomach pains and depression, which she said coincided with her menstrual cycle. All right. All right. Got a diagnosis, Dr. Nathan? My doll. Freud snorted some coke and diagnosed her with hysteria. Oh, no. We are not going back down this road. No, 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 oh, no. Oh, yes, we nope, are nope, full nope, nope, steam nope, nope, ahead. Nope. Back out. Bail. Mag no, we're back. We're codaing back to magnet hands, and I do not need that. No. Running the red light. Hysteria at the time was a mental illness most typically diagnosed in women who were showing too much feeling, too much emotion, getting a little too hysterical, you could say. A little too much in need of Freud finger-banging them. Now, while anxiety and bipolar disorder are two real conditions, a hysteria diagnosis would solve neither of these potential disorders because hysteria was believed to be a disorder of the vagina. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And Nathan, you might think you've got this one on the nose, but Freud wasn't a rapist as far as I know. Ah, uh, give me about 15 minutes in Wikipedia and I could probably prove you wrong, but keep going. It's a moderate evolution from the idea's origin in ancient Greece, who believed that hysteria, it wasn't called that in ancient Greece, was the uterus moving up the body cavity and strangling the woman to a slow, chatty death. God, we've just always been awful. Yeah, basically. It's 1895, and Freud's more tact and evolved deduction is that she's not being suffocated by her uterus. That's dumb. Uh, no, she's mentally ill because she masturbates too much. Well, 
Um, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's definitely one way to do it, Freud. That's definitely and, one way to do it. You're going to try and, and make all the women, all the women vol cells. That's, that's one way to cure it all, I guess. Back to the Kellogg's. We've heard, oh, we've heard of Kellogg. We've heard of Sylvester Graham. We know where, where this is probably going. Eat, gra- eat, eat bland foods and stop touching yourself? Well, Freud uh, was initially stumped for treatment, which is strange, I know, uh, but understand Hold that- Hold on, wait a minute. Is he going to put cocaine on there? Is he going to put cocaine on their vagina? Um, understand that he wouldn't complete his paper on masturbation and mental illness until 1897, so he's, he's hard-pressed for ideas at the moment. Oh, good. It's still muddy water. Somebody called Michael in. Fassbender. He was in a movie with him, wasn't he? Is that I, I'm he, getting things confused? <laughs> he taps in the help of an ear, nose, and throat doctor named Wilhelm Fleece, a companion he'd come to rely on as of late for intellectual and emotional support. And help with that weird thing that his nose kept disintegrating because of all the coke he kept snorting up it. 100%. Fleece was a pen pal when Freud had become isolated in Vienna with a decided lack of colleagues apart from his best friend, cocaine. Fleece... <laughs> And Freud's correspondence over the years was instrumental to the founding of psychoanalysis. A coked-out Freud would dictate these bold, weird ideas to Fleece in frequent letters, and Fleece would iron them out, if not expand upon them. Fleece, at the time, had just finished work on a paper titled The Relation... I'm sorry, I need to brace myself here. The relation between the nose and the female sexual organs. All right. Well, this has been fun, guys. This uh, this has been the Cockable Podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. This, um, this is the part where 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 the bus driver says the brakes aren't working. <laughs> nope, nope. We are we are going down this mountain pass, and it is uh, it is no. Why? Why? This paper. Just why? Speculated that the nose was a microcosm of the body, and that any ailment could be treated by finding its correspondent location in one's nose. Uh, okay, Wilhelm- okay, this is a guy who who got a nose doctor degree, and then they told him, spoiler alert, there are no nose diseases, dude. Like, you picked the wrong one. He's like, fuck oh, you! I'm gonna make the whole thing the nose. You ever seen that show Double Dare, man? We getting all up in this big old nose. I had absolutely... No idea where he could even be starting with this theory, what evidence he had to go off of. So, of course, I had to look this up. I couldn't find Fleece's exact paper, but instead, <laughs> it doesn't exist as far as I know. I'm not convinced the Nazis didn't burn it, but instead found a similar one from 1971 by a different doctor. Quote, this is from 1971. Our fucking mother was 10 years old at the time. Quote, historically, it was the 70s. <laughs> The nose it, It's always the 70s. The nose... Historically, the nose has frequently symbolized the phallus, and less frequently been associated with conception. Already, mm, these no, are wild assumptions. Two, just, two empirically wrong statements. Just, just coming out of the gate, like, since the dawn of time, genitalia and noses have been synonymous. I just, just know they haven't. They, never. Not once. Quote, anatomically and physiologically, there have been a number of reports, both in lower animals and man, linking nasal function and sexual activity. However, no, there haven't. No, there haven't. However, Name one. However, you can't say those things. These, you can't just say these things. You have citations, bibliographies, footnotes, something. Some of these studies were poorly controlled, and their findings require further validation. I didn't write this guy's name down, and that's good, because if I find out he's alive, I'm going to march to the ends of the world to ask him, where are those reports? <laughs> Who, who uh, has made this link? This is this is like Donald Trump level of many people are saying. And, it's, and it's, many people. Many people. I wasn't getting answers, Nathan, so I had to know what they were talking about. I had to dig deeper. And I found a 1912 article in its this entirety. This is the big chair. This is the big goddamn chairs all over it's again. It's fucking big chairs all over again. This one's called The Effect of Estrogenic Hormones on Their Nasal Mucosa, Their Role in the Nasosexual Relationship, and Their Significance in Clinical Renology. The phrase nasosexual relationship should never be uttered ever again because that's just nose fucking. And I know. (laughs) I know that's somebody's thing, but no. The belief, quote, the belief that changes occur in the nose in association with certain sexual happenings dates from antiquity. And doubtless, its basis has been largely the obvious relationship between the sexual and nasal functions in lower animals and the sexual stimulation occurred with certain olfactory perceptions in man. Obvious, Nathan. 
Ah. Uh, the word obvious was in there. The obvious relationship between sexual uh, and nasal functions in animals. I got, I get a runny nose and I also have syphilis, so my dick is runny too. I have absolutely no idea this what guy the- cummed every time he sneezed. Just that that's what it was. And he was like, this is everybody does this. <laughs> Honest to God, it makes more sense than anything else. Otherwise, what kind of universal rift happened where I forgot the obvious correlation that apparently dates from antiquity? I just, I'm imagining that these people are all on cocaine. And so again, they're like all sniffly and weirded out because they've been snorting cocaine and then their dick's all not working right and they're confused. It seems what they are trying to say here is that the one and only sexual nasal relationship is the congestion of the nose during menstruation. Is that a thing? And that is exclusively in human women. Hey, Britt. No. Yes or no? It's no. <laughs> Stuffy nose on the period. No. Brittany says no. Science is bullshit. <laughs> None of this matters. People just make it up. They must have thought that if her nose was stuffy when she was menstruating, then maybe nosebleeds were making her menstruate. I don't fucking know. The bottom line is nobody actually asks them what they think. Not okay. So, um, here's their course of action. I've dug d- my therapist was like, you need to cut out the stressors in your life. And I was like, you're right. I should stop looking up the nasosexual relationship. <laughs> More Adderall, please. <laughs> their course of action is to cauterize her nose. What the actual fuck? Like, I, seal it off? Y- like, 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 just like burn stick the whole a f- fucking hot poker up there. And they're going to aid the cauterization with cocaine, which is which is an actual thing that's still done. Well, yeah, because cocaine, not much, but still done. It, it's you can snort it up your nose real easy, and it numbs things up, and then you, you you're good to go. I mean, I get that. It's but why yeah. are you burning out people's noses to stop them from the made up disease that you you've invented a disease called yeah. hysteria, and yeah. then you've now taken that and invented the, the it's tied into the nose. And now you're burning out parts of the nose and then pumping them full of cocaine to solve. This is a little old lady who swallowed the fly situation. They're taken, taken. Uh, I've you, lost all sense of self. Science has evolved where they may have, you know, like, you know, uh, done a clitorectomy. Now we have progressed. Now we will stick hot pokers up noses. I, I just, I just can't. I, I mean, it just. Just know, why are you lobotomizing people with a hot poker to try and cure the fact that she's depressed and cramped? And jerking it too much. That's the real problem. Well, that's, that's the cause, Nathan. It's yeah, she's jerking it too much, and the cause yeah, of that is the nose. Yeah, the root cause is that lady jerking it. So, all right, yeah. That, so that, not only is this going to dull the excruciating pain, it's also going to apply vasoconstriction, which is going to help prevent future nosebleeds. They they argued that, like, clearly this portion of her nose was bleeding too much, which was causing her to, I don't, I, jer- I don't fucking claim None to understand of, there this. There is no correlation. There is no causation. There is no linear path to this. You know, you know what explains this sort of a diagnosis? Cocaine. One article explains this diagnosis. One article describes the two shoveling gram after gram of pure cocaine into her nose, uh, the chemicals burning her tissue and sinuses and emitting both a surge of pus and the putrefying smell of burning flesh. Oh, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. They bandaged her up and sent her on her way. So... That's something I didn't know, that, like, pure coke will dissolve your nose like acid, but you just can't feel it. Um, that I did not also know. I don't know what I'll do with that information. Um. <laughs> Less coke, I hope. Within two weeks, Emma had returned with complaints of relentless nosebleeds. <laughs> Well, could it be because they burned out all of the things that aren't blood vessels in her nose? Freud, uncertain, uh, called another doctor to investigate this one. Looking up her nose, this doctor found that Freud and Fleece must have uh, bumped a few too many lines during the operation because lo and behold, the two left more than 20 inches of gauze in her nose. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes uh, that makes plenty of sense, yeah. You Half can't tell meter. there's gauze up there. Gauze is white, cocaine's white, it all blended together. Freud and this doctor watched as her nose, upon removal, uh, bled like a faucet. They said that her eyes bulged, uh, she turned white, and for 30 seconds she didn't have a pulse. She nose bled so hard that she died? Temporarily. 
Shelly's okay. out a little bit. The ensuing days left Emma suffering from near-fatal hemorrhages. Half of her face caved in. <sighs> well, that is that. So is that the effect? I, okay, so people who get that one, uh, as Patton Oswald, I think, best described it, one big fat disco Coke nostril, is that because <laughs> they're getting really, really good cocaine, and the closer they get to great cocaine, the more they burn out the inside of their nasal cavity? Basically, yeah. Now, Freud continued treating her, giving her morphine, reapplying bandages for her, but he felt super guilty about this. About melting that woman's face with cocaine because she yeah. masturbated too much? Uh-huh, uh-huh. He was wrong, and he felt bad about it. He was not guilty enough, mind you, uh, because when he adapted that story into a book, glossed over the nose murder entirely. Just just focused mm. instead on her dreams. And If only Freud could have interpreted her subliminal desire to not be blood dry by a pair of coke-addled jackasses. Um, to relieve yep. the guilt, Freud found safety. In cocaine and cigars. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was just about to say, uh, there's only there's only one thing he really loves in the world, and it's cocaine, so I know that's it. Freud wrote a letter to Fleece detailing this escapism. Quote, Today I can write because I have more hope. I pulled myself out of a miserable attack with a cocaine application. Shortly after, he wrote Fleece again. Quote, Since my last cocaineization, three circumstances have continued. One, I feel very well. Two, I am discharging ample amounts of pus. Three. I am feeling very well. Oh, you know, he didn't say that. Yes, he did. No, if you're talking out loud and you're a cokehead, you can do that. You can't do that when he is first draft, last draft, get it out the door and get to a degree that I cannot accept. Freud and Fleece would remain friends in spite of this awful mistake they both made. No, I mean um, they're gonna bond over that. That's like when you both go when you when you murder a hobo and bury him out <laughs> back. Like you're bonded over that. You're gonna you're a, you, you stick together. I mean, there were debates, there were accusations of who started the mess with their cocaine or the theories about the nose being linked to the vagina. However, they remained friends. In 1904, though, their friendship came to an end when Fleece accused Freud of giving Fleece's ideas to a plagiarist in secret. I thought it was going to be stealing his cocaine. <laughs> and that was that was true, but that one he didn't know about. Uh, but while Freud, these two... Because Freud was a high-level rogue. <laughs> but while these two had their falling out, Emma Eckstein actually remained on good terms with Freud. This is just one of those why people can't quit crazy and I don't get it. And eventually became a psychoanalyst herself. You've she got was to be fucking kidding me. Permanently disfigured from that face cave in, though. Yeah, I mean, you're going to need some psychoanalysis to uh, to justify away the uh, giant crater in your face that Freud melted away with pure cocaine. But in the early 1900s, uh, the negative press about cocaine starts to get published. The the studies are coming out that maybe this isn't great for us. <laughs> Oh, good. That was quicker than I expected. So Freud seeing this, he's like, okay, pivot. M maybe I fucked up. <laughs> so in a full retraction, um, he distances himself from it as best he can and quits cocaine. He stops oh. giving it to his patients, just quits. Um, that's, uh, that's impressive. I wouldn't have expected that sort of I mean, uh, he's a, he might be a humble turnaround from a man that burned out a woman's face cavity with uh, pure cocaine. <laughs> he might be a coke addict, but he feels guilty when he fucks up. And, you know, he listens to the science on coke. So Freud's school of psychoanalysis was beginning to take shape in the years after 1902 when Freud became a university professor. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. He was fond of being addressed by the specific title Professor Extraordinaris, but this prestigious title mm, allowed mm. him only to lecture at the university, offered no salary and no teaching duties. So I could call myself Professor Extraordinaris, go on the corner and just start yelling a bunch about how great cocaine is. Yes. Uh, because it seems like there's no real, you know, measurement system for this sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, you can bump a line and yell at the college freshman and you're good. He lectured every Saturday evening in the psychiatric clinic, and let me tell you what a hoot and a holler that was. <laughs> oh, I, without cocaine, I can imagine it was a lot less of a hoot and a holler. Uh, with this prestige uh, thus enhanced, Freud started a discussion group, which would kind of become the Psychoanalysis Boys Club. By 1906, it grew to 16 members, and by 1910, established the International Psychoanalytic Association. Today, it's 12,000 strong. Jesus Christ, how do people still buy this shit? But wait, we're not done. Freud's oh, School God. of Psychology began to spread out across the world. Schools and societies have been established in Switzerland, France, Italy, the Netherlands, Norway, 
Palestine, Russia, and New York for America. Russia's psychoanalytical society was annulled in 1924 after 14 years. Yeah, Uh, probably. uh, Yeah, that seems like something the Bolsheviks would have done away with. Yeah, Stalin denounced the ideology. Um, oh, another or, another win for another win for Papa Joe. Thank you. Nearing his mid seventies, Freud developed a cancerous sore in his mouth from his excessive use of cigars. Oh. The, doc- the doctors he consulted, however, all chose not to tell him he had cancer. <laughs> I mean, that is a extreme example of uh, not wanting to be the bearer of bad news. Sure, they just kept moving him along, operating on his jaw, uh, believing that if he was told he had cancer, he would kill himself. I mean, it's not a awful deduction to make. I've referenced some letters from Freud throughout this episode, namely letters from Freud to Wilhelm Fleece. Now, when Freud got off coke, he made sure to distance himself from the whole thing by burning all of his letters on the subject. Obviously, <laughs> little his- little emo kid dramatic. <laughs> uh, obviously, is published. He tore down his coke posters. I mean, I just imagine this is this is the equivalent of uh, of of rapidly deleting your fan fiction folders he, off of your hard drive. <laughs> he, he goes out to that park and just scratches over the Sigmund Hart Coke <laughs> etched into the tree. So obviously, his published papers like Uber Coca and the like couldn't be taken back. That was in the public sphere. But the question remains: How did he get the? How, how did we get the letters that so heavily incriminate him in Emma Eckstein's botched surgery? The letters. Fleece didn't burn his letters, did he? He didn't. And they were in possession of Fleece's widow um, around the time of the story. So turns out the letters were purchased by a Freudian disciple of sorts, Princess of Greece and Denmark, Maria Bonaparte. All right, hold on. But, uh huh? She married uh, Prince George of Greece and Denmark. How those two are under the same roof is weird. I don't get that, but imperialism mostly. Yeah, mostly but that imperialism. sounds like a hard empire to maintain. Your borders are like stretched super far apart. Um, yeah, almost like the United Kingdom owning America <laughs> and what China? Or I mean, come on now, and, you better yeah. than this. You're, yeah. So Maria Bonaparte had consulted with Freud in 1925 for treatment when she found she. Couldn't orgasm if she was banged in the missionary position. Okay, all right. So, uh, okay, back to the dick stuff. Good. It was uh, to Bonaparte that Freud thus remarked, quote, The great question that has never been answered and which I have not been able to answer despite my 30 years of research into the feminine soul is, what does a woman want? <sighs> Doc, I just told you, trying to bust a nut. Yeah, definitely. Just- just want to blow really, a load. That's it. Would really enjoy that endorphins uh, <laughs> release. Wish please. you would listen when I explain exactly what I want. Really kind. Of. He scratches it. I just don't get it. What do they want? I want to come. Fuck. God damn it. Well, in January of 1933, the Nazis took control of Germany. Yes, they did. And please tell me they mercifully put an end to this. <laughs> Freud's books were prominent among the loads and loads of burned literature. Oh, when, no pun intended. When Freud heard of this, he remarked, what progress we're making. In the Middle Ages, they would have burned me. Now they're content with burning my books. <laughs> oh, you punny bastard. I hope he, you die of cancer. He was a, she was a charming 70-year-old. As you can tell, he wasn't exactly bothered or um, concerned he was living in Austria at the time with the Nazi threat. He underestimated them for too long, though. He was boxed in when Germany invaded Austria in 1938, annexed I've it. Seen, yep, I've seen the sound of music. I know how this goes. Freud, Jewish by birth, was rightfully afraid now. Friends and colleagues across the world begged him to seek asylum in England. Freud couldn't leave his home behind, though. He insisted on staying. You know that old stubbornness. The tornado came. I'm a rebuild. <laughs> They took all my cocaine. I'll go buy more cocaine. (laughs) Freud had six children by this point. His youngest, Anna Freud, was almost in her 40s by this point. I was about to say, it can't be that young. Jesus. On March 15th, within two days of Austria's annexation. That's my birthday, by the way. Within two days of Austria's annexation, Freud's apartment was ransacked by the Gestapo and Anna was arrested. She was taken by the Gestapo for interrogation. Unknown to Freud... Anna and her brother uh, had brought with her a lethal dose of Veronal, a sleeping aid, just in case she was tortured. Uh, 
Okay, all right. I was hoping for cocaine, but that makes more sense. Fortunately, she survived her interrogation and was returned the next day. This was very lucky. Apparently, she was spared a more torturous interrogation thanks to a well-timed phone call by an American dignitary. Uh, I don't know what that looks like, where they're like, all right, get the car battery. Wait, the phone's <laughs> ringing. They get back. What were we doing with her? Ah, uh, fuck it. Let her go. It reinforces the idea that the Nazis were fucking idiots. <laughs> that call comes in from Henry Ford himself. <laughs> Jesus. Guys, we're going to stop jazz, see? Meh. Freud was shaken into reality. He got his tw- he got his, his 82-year-old ass moving. <laughs> Jesus. Just the Nazis- a geriatric, coked up, Freud, balling ass across Europe. The, the Nazis installed what were called commissars to Jewish communities. Nazi financiers that were in charge of taking over businesses and fleecing Jews of every last dollar that they could. Freud and his family's commissar was a man named Dr. Anton Sauerwald. The 40-year-old chemist loved gardening making bombs, and reading Freud's work. What man, a trifecta. That Venn, that Venn diagram is weird. That's a multifaceted man. That guy can it, have a, a lot of different conversations with equal passion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are not a lot of people in his particular fan clubs, but, I mean, the ones that are, man. Whew. He's president of them. It was a luck arrangement for Freud. I mean, this man was by no means against Hitler's regime, this this Nazi. In fact, he loved it. Uh, but where he disagreed Wait, that with Nazi that Nazi wasn't that Nazi didn't disagree with that Hitler guy. <laughs> but where he disagreed with that Hitler guy was on psychoanalysis. Psychoanalysis, Sauerwald said, made him a better Nazi. And I'm sure he oh, said this to Freud, and Freud, God. through gritted teeth, was like, "Cool." <laughs> <laughs> it must be fun. It must be fun to watch your ideology bastardized in front of your own eyes. Usually, that only happens after you're dead. So, to the aid. To aid the man that he owed his career to, this Nazi helped fudge reports and keep the Gestapo away from the Freud family. He even sheltered the foreign bank accounts Freud was using to stash money away from Nazi collectors. This is a weird, like, reverse Schindler's List or something like that. What the uh-huh. fuck is happening? Finally, he even helped secure visas for Freud to help get his family out of the country. Now, he only lined up the opportunity to buy the visas, which was already in and of itself a luxury for a Jew in Germany-controlled Austria. Freud could not afford all the visas, though. To help secure (laughs) funds, the commissar helped Freud sell some of his antiquities at a good price. Man, Uh, I was really hoping this was going to go Breaking Bad. He was going to have to sell cocaine to (laughs) get the money to buy his visas. Sauerwald even got the Gestapo to transport Freud's books and his famous analytical couch to London, where they're now in a museum in Hampstead. Freud watched as his family made it out little by little, having sold all of his things and drained all of his money. He, however, ran into difficulties. He'd gotten to the last visa and was out of money. He'd sold all that he could part with, drained all of his finances, but he was still short on his own visa. So that's when Princess Marie Bonaparte returns. She (laughs) wanted the copies of Freud's most precious letters, the ones that he wished he'd burned, but couldn't because they were in possession of Felice's widow. So... He also couldn't bear to, to burn the copies that, well, couldn't bear to burn the ones that Fleece had sent him. So, these letters between Freud and Fleece were the only thing Marie asked for, insisting they were of historical importance. In exchange, she paid for his visa, she promised never to read them, and that they would be published well after her death. And they were, in 1984, 22 years after she died. 84? Holy shit. So we didn't know how fucked up Freud was until, like, Miami Vice? Basically. I mean, we had his Uber Coca papers. We knew that. But, like, the Emma Eckstein thing really didn't make make public until 1984. Ah, when Freud... Healthy. When Coke was coming back around again. When Freud <laughs> yeah. arrived at the train that would eventually take him to London... He was not allowed aboard until he gave a statement absolving the Gestapo of any wrongdoing. That always seems good. That seems like a healthy thing to do. Quote, I would heartily recommend the Gestapo to anybody, he said, boarding the train. (laughs) Says the man that heartily recommended cocaine for quite literally everybody. Freud didn't live much longer, however. By mid-September 1939, the cancer had grown too painful. He reminisced on a conversation he'd had with his doctor, a fellow refugee, Max Schur. He was in England by this time. Schur had promised not to prolong his life any more than necessary. And with some resistance from Anna Freud, Sigmund Freud was administered a fatal dose of morphine on September 23rd, 1939. 
It couldn't have been cocaine. It, c- it couldn't I mean, have been coke. I know. <laughs> just for poetic justice. A, a giant fucking rock of crack with legs and arms and a shotgun. He's my dog, Paul. I'll do it. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and there goes Freud. Um, Sigmund Freud snorted a lot of coke, founded the most bizarre ideas because of it, and died after cucking the Nazis of one Jewish family. An ambiguous... Morally gray man with an interesting tale, if ever there was one. You've been listening to the Cock and Bull Podcast. <laughs> I hate Sigmund Freud so goddamn much, and this didn't help in any meaningful way. Uh, you can catch us on Wednesdays. We're working on getting a backlog ready to go. Um, we got a whole two lined up, boy. Guys, <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. We're coasting. <laughs> See you in six like, months. By now, my episode of Blunderphonics on Captain Beefheart. That should be a wild ride. You should go listen to that. That will be the last episode for a little bit. We're going to take a, a little bit of time off to prepare a backlog so we can come back with even more episodes than usual. Uh, even more frequently, we're even working on expanding social media presence, getting some YouTube clips out there, animatics, all that shit. So in the meanwhile, expect me to devote some more time to Cock and Bull. This is my baby. I will never let it go. I love it so dearly. We're almost at a two years of the show, aren't we? It is very... We're getting fairly close. I'm at officially one year of releasing uh, Mark's Madness, so you can go over there and check out that fun shit. Please do. Please do. We have, we have quite literally never missed a week ever. Uh, and uh, and actually released b- uh, multiple episodes in multiple weeks sometimes because uh, it, it turns out it helps to have one person who actually knows how to keep a schedule involved in your podcast. It's, it's um, spoilers. Is, neither one of us. We are the weak link in this chain. Uh, and so when you put those two weak links together, you get this shit show. I got nothing else. I got mm. nothing else. Spencer? No, I got a mouthful of potato stew. You caught me at a bad time. Oh, that sounds good. We should thank uh, we should thank Driftless Pony Club for letting us use their song. Absolutely want to thank Driftless Pony Club for allowing us to use their song There Were Buffalo on the Ark off the album Cholera. I recommend you go stream that. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Bye! Call my name and make a wish and take a rest because it's the best thing to leave your lips. Is that your best? I'm not impressed.